Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is Nasser Pasha. This is Matt Stahl. And welcome to, what is this? Yes, a business <laughs> podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist and also answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send in to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com, which you can also include your city location as well as the type of business into that email so we can answer your question appropriately. Yes. It's pretty much a necessity too, because if we don't know where you're at, we've diligently studied the law in all 50 states and some countries, so <laughs> we need to put that work towards our answers. Yes. Social Media Week. Let's end it. Social Media Week. So let's see. We talked about Facebook on Monday. You're familiar with that. We talked about Snapchat on Wednesday. You weren't familiar with that, but apparently now you are familiar. So you've sent me 10 Snapchats. That I haven't... The uh, first, I, I looked at the first five. They were just of your cat. So I didn't really understand that. But I haven't looked at the other ones yet. So now we're going to talk about something I'm guessing you've probably never used. Maybe you've heard of as Tinder. At least I hope you haven't. I've definitely heard of it but definitely never used it. If your wife listens to the podcast. My wife and I can both use it just to make sure we match together. <laughs> well, all, I mean, the, the matching is just a picture. So it's oh, not, okay. Oh, it, it's not. You could, you could do that right now. Oh, okay. It's not a compatibility <laughs> test where it matches you up with people. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So, well. Yeah. So all it is is I think you can see five pictures of someone. And if you like it, you swipe left or right. I forget which is which. And then if both of you say yes, then you at that point, you can start messaging. No. So that's that's basically all it is. So no reason for you to be on that or I. So the co-founder of Tinder is now under some heat for a sexual harassment lawsuit, which I find a little bit... I don't, I don't know if ironic is the right word. It's probably not, but it's a little bit funny just because... Not surprising, I suppose. Yeah, not surprising because this... This app itself is not the most most <laughs> ethical app in terms of like dating, but okay, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I guess it depends what they're looking for in dating, but yeah, it's anyway. <laughs> that is, that you're right. I think you did it well. I, that is a hard how to put it, but it is interesting. It is. I think it is ironic, but you notice that the company itself actually had the co-founder suspended after the lawsuit. And this is pretty common. When when you have an allegation with somebody in your company, and especially if there's any meat to it, even if necessarily there's not either, you have to take appropriate action to prevent that person from continuing the harassment, especially if you know there's something like that going on. You don't want to expose the company to more liability. But what is bad for Tinder is that this employee and this company is in California. And in California, if a supervisor commits these acts, the company is strictly liable. It doesn't matter if they knew or didn't know that this person was this sexual, what's the word I'm looking for? Abuser, harasser. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if they knew that or not, the company will be held strictly liable for the supervisor's action. Yeah. And this is a little bit weird too, is the woman who got terminated and who's brought the lawsuit claims that she was kind of the driving force behind turning Tinder into what it is today, which I'm sure she is saying that because it's throwing it in the lawsuit. But you know, if that's the case, it probably is even worse for them. 
But I wish she would separate that. And I think that's a mistake, even though, you know, these cases aren't tried in the public, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be in a court of law. But it kind of distracts the issue. Because on one hand, you're being sexually harassed, which needs to be taken care of and fought against. But then separating it to whether or not you were a good employee or not has nothing to do with how they would be treating you. Except, however, not I look at it, if it is sexual discrimination based upon gender and that person, I take everything back. <laughs> because if it's sex- sexual discrimination, I-, I just saw harassment. But if it's discrimination, then if that person is doing a great job, yet they're being treated unfairly because of their gender, then that would be an important fact to know. I mean, he clearly did stuff wrong, too, because they suspended him pretty much right away. And I think they even came out and admitted it's clear that he sent her private messages containing inappropriate content. You know, there's claims of, I guess they were dating and they broke up and he told her to stay away from other men for a period of six months. So it was a, a personal non-compete <laughs> agreement that I guess he had. So Is that enforceable? Not in California, right? Yeah, I'm guessing probably not, but yeah. we'll find out when this lawsuit comes to fruition. I'm glad you mentioned that they were dating because one of the difficulties of these kind of lawsuits from an employee perspective is that the company is always going to try to argue that the conduct was being welcomed by the parties because they were in a mutual relationship and so therefore it's by consent basically. And that's always hard when there's an actual relationship going on and it's been disclosed to the company and it's not secret because then where does that line drawn? When they break up, of course, as the nature of a relationship, are they really broken up or did they get into a fight or or what have you? And so it's kind of very hard to draw that line. And it's always a uh, contentious issue in the court of law. So something to think about in your corporate relationship policies for your employees. There you go. It's business advice and relationship (laughs) advice. So Yeah. And especially supervisors. In California, not all states are like this, but if it's a supervisor dating a subordinate, I would feel a lot of discomfort with that kind of situation because that's just a problem waiting to happen. Yeah, I think you're right. It can work, but it's... It's tough. It's uh, definitely tough. Yeah, people are working with each other every day. It's bound to happen. I mean, we had Meg on a few weeks ago, and she was explaining that was a you know a married couple working together. So yeah, exactly. Imagine two people that are just dating. So no doubt. Well, unfortunately, we're ending the week with probably a boring question, but that's fine. <laughs> Please send in more entertaining questions as if they have to like come up with something fun. Just, you know, that's fine. We don't mind. So from Austin, Texas, the general provisions at the end of contracts, how necessary are they? And are there any that are musts to include? (laughs) That's actually a good question because, you know, these general provisions that are included in these end of these contracts, a lot of times they're very rarely read. They're skimmed over. But I tell you, there's a lot of sneaky stuff that can be put in there that you'd pay attention to. And what the questioner is referring to, general provisions, stuff like the choice of law, whether what's called a merger clause, basically making sure that everything that is talked about in the contract are the only terms in the contract between the parties regarding that subject matter, and these kinds of related provisions. And what do we say, Matt? I mean, there's a reason they're in there, right? You're exactly right. They wouldn't be important if they weren't included in there. There's a reason that they are included. So yeah, the the choice of law one, if you're dealing with two potential locations, like that's pretty big. 
how many are there? There's anywhere from 10 to 30. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of depends upon the actual contract. And sometimes when lawyers draft it, what they include as a general provision may not necessarily be a general provision in the sense, because usually a general provision, you're thinking something that applies to pretty much every contract. But a lot of times there's stuff in there that is a substantive term that you may want to review. Yeah, you're exactly right. Sometimes you'll see provisions in there that I wouldn't consider general. Like there's arbitration clauses. Those can be their own sections, in my opinion, and you know sometimes some other things. But if you're going to read through the contract, you should read it from the beginning to the end. Don't skip over those miscellaneous provisions because sometimes they could have stuff in there that change the way that the contract is. I've even seen identification clauses in there, waivers of liability, especially in consumer contracts that they'll have those kind of things. So And also, we don't know what this person's referring to as far as which contracts and so forth. And maybe they are unnecessary. I don't know. I haven't seen the contract. Yeah. So send in your contract. And we'll review it on the podcast. Not really. Yeah. So now we're going to rank the most important to least important, one through 30 of general provisions. (laughs) We'll we'll go in reverse. Number 30. Uh, The the one about headings, capitalized headings. Oh, yeah. That's uh, the worst. Not a big big fan, but... Yeah, I agree. That's worthless. That one's definitely bad, but I can't think of any one that's not essential. That one's just so basic and you don't even see that one in there that many times. So Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm like opening up contracts right now, seeing <laughs> what they are. <laughs> I like it. if they're gonna be in there, there's probably depending on how you combine them together and things like that, there's probably about five to ten pretty standard ones that should be in basically every single agreement. Yeah. And then after that you can kind of get creative. But the questioner is right in one part if he's saying that they're not necessary. Like for example, there could be a clause in there that says, you know, the governing law of this document is the state of California. If both parties are in California and all the services or products or whatever is being provided or the performance of the contract is in California, then the governing law is California. You don't necessarily have to put that in there. So in that case, it would be not relevant. But you still leave it in there because just in case one of the parties is in fact outside of California and you don't want any ambiguity and so forth and just makes it clear. That's one example, I suppose. We don't need to get into all these. I think this survival clause can be pretty important. If certain clauses in the contract will survive yeah. the term of the contract. That can be important. It may not be important to every contract, but for example, a non-compete agreement, which you may be concerned of whether the extent that it may be enforceable, you may want to put that in there so that, okay, in the event that the court finds that some of those terms are not enforceable, at least the other terms remain to be. So instead of getting rid of the entire contract. Do you think anyone's still listening at this point? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is so true. I stopped listening myself, but I started falling asleep, actually. I don't blame you. All right, let's end our episode. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Yep, and as always, keep it sound and keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. 
The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.